Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, I got to give us a pat on the back here because we have been on a huge winning streak so far this year. Every episode that's come out has been a winner, and that winning streak continues this week. We are talking to the super successful, and some might even say controversial, producer, the great Peter Wolf. Now, in case you're confused, this is not Peter Wolf, the front man for the Jay Giles Band. This is Peter Wolf who had the Midas touch when it comes to production back in the 80s and 90s. Let me give you an idea of what this guy did. First of all, you're listening to We Built This City. He is the man who produced this song. He also produced Wang Chung's Everybody Have Fun Tonight. Now, those are songs that some people love and some people hate. But dependent, no matter how you feel about them, you've got to give it up that that guy was able to put his finger on the pulse at that time and create huge, long-lasting anthems that are still out there today. Like it or not, that is a fact. We also talk about artists like, he worked on Night Shift by the Commodores. That's one of Yann and I's all-time favorite songs. Uh, Who's Johnny from Short Circuit? Remember that song? He worked on that too. He wrote that. King of Wishful Thinking by Go West. He worked with Pete Townsend in The Who. Playing with the Boys by Kenny Loggins on the Top Gun soundtrack. He did that. He produced a big country album. We talk all about big country in here. You guys know how much we love big country around here. And then there's tons of rock luminaries like Lou Graham and Chicago and Hart and Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire. We get into all these people. Uh, What's really interesting is at the beginning of this conversation, the first 10 minutes or so, he tells us about a new TV show that he's developing called Sweet Toxins. And what you realize is that a while back, he was able to pivot from his super successful music career into a television production career. And I tell you this because you have to give it up to the guy that he has business savvy. Peter Wolf has known how to produce and create things that are going to sell and make money. And he has a knack for that. And you have to give it up for Peter Wolf 
for that, if nothing else, okay? The guy had the Midas touch, still does. I am so grateful for this conversation. I think you're going to love it. He called me from his home in L.A. For starters, I feel like, Peter, we should start with your newest stuff. You sent me the the um, trailer and some of the, and the idea, the pitch around this new TV show, Sweet Toxins, that you're yeah. working on. And uh, yeah. this, as far as I understand, it's part of your production company called Wham Slam. This seems like That's a whole correct. new thing for you. So tell me more about this. What are you doing? Well, you know, music was always second nature to me. Mm -hmm. And the music aspect is so simple. It's so easy. And uh, when, when you think about it in history, every time composers, writers wanted to to get into the situation where they could control sort of an overall artistic picture. Mm -hmm. You know, in Mozart's times, the composers, for them, the biggest thing was to get into opera. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. later, you know, they wanted to, to be part of, uh, of film, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, and nowadays, it's really, what are we talking about? At parties, we're not talking about the newest uh, album of Jimi mm -hmm. Hendrix anymore. We're not yeah. talking about the, yeah. the newest film of Steven Spielberg. We're talking about the newest Netflix yes. series. Very true. You know. Yeah. So, so now this this is sort of the 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 big new picture, and I've worked in in so many fields of the music business before, and then I was involved in. In the in a production company from Europe uh, that did a, a production called Commissar Rex, mm. and Commissar Rex, people don't realize, it was after Baywatch the second most successful television production in the history of international television. Uh, we were wow. sold into 137 countries. Wow. And yeah, and and uh, all I can tell you is I did I did the music for that uh, for a long long time, and uh, my royalties, my international television royalties, are almost ten times as much as as my uh, royalties for all my hit records. Oh, you know, that I had why? hit number ones and forty five top forty records. No, it is why? it is amazing. Television is <laughs> is the the big sort of money maker. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, aside from being the money maker, it's it's wonderful because you can engage people for an hour mm -hmm. where where they sit and they don't do anything else but be engaged in what you do. Yeah. Which nobody does anymore with music. Music yeah, that's is true. sort of a a backdrop. Yeah. You know, that that, that you you have you're listening to in your car yeah and you know you're you're thinking about a thousand other things and it, yeah. and it has become sort of a a you know a wallpaper yeah. that's it that's it yeah so and where does this show sweet toxins go i mean it looks like it's been i don't know if you've made all of them all of the episodes no 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 okay. no we we just made this trailer and we we have now uh material for maybe half hour of okay show. okay uh, because it's very expensive, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, we now uh, are going to the industry, and and my my old manager Michael Lipman has taken over mm. the management, which is fabulous, mm -hmm. and uh, he's very very well connected, and uh, next week we have 
a meeting with CIA already, wow. and then uh, with with uh, William Morris Endeavor. So we're gonna choose an agent, and uh, we already have our first uh, offer from ZDF, which is Germany. No way. And they said uh, we we're not rich enough to do the whole thing, mm-hmm. but we wanna if we if we get the we want to partner up with an American company. If we get the German-speaking market, which is like a hundred million, mm-hmm. we are ready to to pay part of the production. Oh my gosh! So, oh my gosh. so that's 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 really a fabulous start because we can yeah. come into to an American network saying we already have an offer for mm-hmm. the German-speaking market. Yeah, they might not want to do that. That's that's then a negotiation thing. Right. But it's wonderful to be able to come in. And have and bring some money with us. Yeah, you know? and your wife Leah is the star of this. Correct. Uh, she's not the star star. She she's part of the team. Okay. The the real star of the team, uh, we we have a lady um, uh, from for, she was in House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's one of the stars, and then we have John Grice, who is yeah. like. Uh, you know, he he's like a, a major character. Who he's been around been forever. Life. Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and and he's he's an absolute sweetheart, Good. and he's playing the police chief. Yeah. Who who is very crooked, and and uh, and very deep and. Good. So those are the real stars, and then we okay. have we have uh, Leah as the the, the the daughter of this family, okay. and and then we have the scientist, who is uh, the most photographed man on earth. Mm. Wow. He, he is a, a supermodel, who who you know was the face of Hugo Boss of. Mm. of mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you can you can look look him up. He's huge. Right. right? Okay. He's, right now, right now, you know, he's in his forties, wow. and he's the face of of Brioni. Wow. You know. Yeah. Look up Brioni. There's okay. one picture of Pierce Brosnan, and <laughs> about thirty pictures of Werner. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Well, I want to talk about the music, but real quick, give us a quick synopsis of what Sweet Toxins is all about. Sweet Toxins is basically. Uh, this, a godfather story, meaning uh, a family drama located in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. And we find out that the pharmaceutical industry is much worse than the mafia. Mm. Wow. Wow. And, and it, it's, it's, a very, it's, it's a very deep, yeah. very socially critical uh, thing. And... And it, you know, it, everything is there: murder, yeah. left yeah. and right, and and there we're fi- we are finding out that the pharmaceuticals are experimenting on homeless people, and then when they can't get rid of the homeless people after their experiments, you know, they're selling off body parts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow! So, so it gets it gets worse and worse and worse as yeah. as the drama mm-hmm. keeps unfolding. Very cool. Well, I hope that it works out. It would be, it sounds fascinating and the trailer looks great. And uh, there's so much great content out there. There's no reason why a show like this couldn't find a home someplace. Yeah. You know? It, it, and I th- I'm pretty sure it will. Good. We just Good. have to find the right fan. Yeah. The right thing. Excellent. Very cool. Okay. Let's talk about your music career. And I feel, <laughs> you've probably been, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, Peter. I, I mean, 
The elephant in the room here is that you are the man who created two of what are known as the worst songs of all time. And uh, like, it or not, <laughs> like it or not, we built this city and everybody have fun tonight. Uh, pass through your hands. And those are Absolutely. great songs. I've had Jack Hughes on here a couple times. I've had Martin Page on here. Tell us how you feel about these songs and about the, that, that label. But a, a very wise guy said once, you know, anything is, is, is good, is promotion-wise. <laughs> right, right. So it's, it's like, it's fabulous. I love these songs. Yeah, I do know? too. But every, everybody have fun tonight was the, was the NFL mm. song of, of, what was it, 1987 or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and the whole stadiums were singing, everybody have fun tonight. Yeah. You know, it was great. And we built the city was uh, Martin Page sent me the demo that that didn't have a, a chorus. Mm. And I was producing the Starship and I said, well, wait a minute. If there is anybody on Earth who can say we built the city on rock and roll, it's it's Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship mm -hmm. from being from San Francisco. They really were the first guys over there that did rock and roll at that level. So they were the true. first. Yeah. And so so we all said. Hey, this is this is fabulous. Then, since it didn't have a chorus, I wrote a chorus to it. it took me five minutes. Was huh. done. So the whole we built this city, we built this city on rock and roll. We built this. That was you. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Now, one thing I've always been curious about because if you listen to the original versions or the demo versions of those songs, the Wang Chung one is very slow, slowly paced, mm -hmm. kind of jazzy. Uh, the original Mar Martin's demo of We Built This City is also very kind of slow and somber. But you've turned both of these things into these massive party jams. And yeah. what did you hear in those original recordings that made you think of what ended up becoming of those songs? I just, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to have a good time. Yeah. And make make them sound like <laughs> like you can dance to it yeah. and have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
it's it's so much easier. It's with everybody have fun tonight. When when uh, Jack played me the original demo, the the funny thing was with Wang Chung was that every interviewer the first question was, uh, excuse me, what what the hell does Wang Chung mean, <laughs> right? Obviously, right. because you know Wang Chung, what a what a strange right. name for a band, right. and. Uh, here is a song that said, everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. <laughs> so I thought, well, the, here's your answer. It's fantastic. You know, everybody is going to love that. But it's got to be an up-tempo song. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, we wrote that chorus, you know, again. Uh-huh. It was very simple, very fast. And, and th- the question got answered. And the people, you know, a big light light bulb went up in everybody's head and they went, Oh, that's what it what they mean. You know? And that was it, you know. It was funny. Oh, that's great. Had, that is great. The, the, the boys they probably didn't tell you that, uh, Jack and Nick. But there was a there was a game, you know, uh, they're very intelligent human beings, mm-hmm. both of them. Uh, and uh, they came up being British, right? Having yeah. this British sense of humor, they had a fabulous uh, uh, game between mm. themselves. Mm. Like every every interview, one of the you know it would would always be one Jack would do, the next Nick would do, then Jack, mm-hmm. then Nick. They, they had to answer the question: <laughs> What does Wang Chung mean? Right. right? And the the joke was. They had to come up with a new explanation <laughs> every every time, right? So, so now it was it's Jack's uh, thing, and then he would come up and say, and they would say, well, what, what does Wang Chung mean? And Jack would say, well, uh, Wang Chung uh, comes from the Chinese, and it's actually Huang Chung. <laughs> and they would go, huh? What, what what does Huang Chung? Huang Chung means perfect pitch. Right, and uh-huh. while he's explaining this, right, yeah, uh, Nick would be in stitches, right, <laughs> on the floor, right, being laughing his ass off, uh-huh. and th- and the next time uh, somebody would say, "What does Wang Chang mean?" Nick would say, "Well, it comes from Stockhausen. <laughs> Stockhausen in his original scores." Right uh-huh. when when he wanted a sforzato in the in the orchestra, he wrote he would write Wang Chung, right? <laughs> so so wow. all these explanations, right, that they would yeah. dream up and and uh, <laughs> yeah, right? you you so can funny. you can read those funny things. Oh, they're and, great. Uh, you know, it's 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 very it. Yeah, it's great. Jack has uh, talked to me a couple of times, and I wonder if it's because I've made it a point never to ask that question, because I'm sure everybody asks that question. Maybe that's why he likes me. In fact, speaking yeah. of Jack... <laughs> Probably <laughs> Right. Speaking of Jack, I reached out to him. In fact, I reached out to a couple of people that you know to get thoughts or questions about you from them. And Jack wrote back, and he said, I have lots of memories of working with Peter, you could ask him if he remembers playing me Miles Davis, Davis Nefertiti in his car on our way to the gym one morning. We used to work out together before going to the studio. And he says, the stairs was a running joke. See if he remembers any of that. Does the yeah, yeah. stairs from Jack Hughes... What's the running joke here? 
the stairs, I don't remember the running joke. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't know stairs, if maybe you two did like a stair stepper I, at the I gym or something. I definitely remember. You know, Jack, uh, Jack uh, studied music, mm-hmm. and he was the only guy who actually ever came to me, not with a demo of a new song, but with a sheet of music paper. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, yeah. He was a great, great guy. Wow. And and because of that, I'm I'm a jazzer all my life. Yeah, yeah. I would play him Nefertiti. Yeah. And say listen listen to the construction yeah. of the melody of Nefertiti, and then you know Wayne is a is a a beloved brother of mine who I adore, mm-hmm. and and is one of the greatest, most innovative composers I think I. Did. Yeah. Yeah, you um, you started out more as a jazz guy. In fact, I was going back listening to your early stuff, like a change of my life. Sorry, a change you, in my life. Ah, that was oh, that was total crap. But you were like 16, 17 years old, and you're making this very yeah. legitimate jazz music, right? Yeah, of course. I won the European Jazz uh, Festival at at eight, at 16. But still, I listen to it, and it's crap. Really? Well, I don't have... I mean, I'm not as sophisticated when it comes to jazz. I appreciate it. So I don't know that I would know good jazz from bad jazz, to be honest. I just know what sounds nice, and that sounds nice. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's not. I, I wouldn't say it's bad jazz, but okay, <laughs> but okay. It's, it's, it's like you know. I have. To, I'm very critical of myself. Mm-hmm. And, and when when Frank Zappa once said to me, he he called me up. You know, a, a few months before he died, and uh, he 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 basically he, he wanted to see his old friends again, mm-hmm. and he asked me over to his house, and I was there, and and. He made me sit down and played me my solos, mm. you know. I said, "Oh, listen to this! Wasn't that fantastic?" And I said, "Frank, my God, it's like I'm, I, I hate what I play here. You should play with me now. Now I'm good, uh-huh. you know." And 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 I said, "You know, plus you should put the old band together, and we would go out. We, you know, everybody mm-hmm. is successful. We'll play for you for free." Yeah, you know he's. He started laughing. He said, "You think Bozio would play for free?" <laughs> I said, well, you, can, you can try. I certainly would. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I spoke with Arthur Barrow recently, and uh, because he was a member of the Zappa crew around the same yeah. time you were, 
playing yeah, bass. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I got to be honest, I have never really appreciate grown to appreciate Frank's music. I respect what he's doing. I respect it. I respect it's different to me. It sounds like music made for other musicians. So that if you're a guitar player and you're thinking, "Wow, how does that guy do that?" You know, that's interesting. But if you're just a person who wants to like listen to everybody have fun tonight, Zappa is not really your your cup of tea. So tell, give me quickly an idea. Why should I be appreciating Zappa more than I do? I I can quote myself here. Mm-hmm. I wrote the the liner notes on on one of Frank's uh, later albums here, and and I wrote and this is exactly the truth. I was a jazzer, right? Mm-hmm. I I came from Europe. Uh, I I played with with all these jazz bands. I was member of Art Farmer's Quartet. I come to America, and you know I get a phone call. Hi, this is Frank Zappa. I'm looking for a keyboard player. You want to audition? I go over there, right? I make the audition. I'm a member of, of the last year of the Mothers. Mm-hmm. So I I was never a huge fan mm. of of Frank's, mm. right? Because my, my heart and soul was into into Miles and into Weather Report and Keith yeah. Jarrett. You know, those were my, my guys. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden I'm in, the, in Zappa's band and... The challenge was that we played all kinds of music. Mm. We played, you know, fifties rock and and punk rock and uh, uh, Stravinsky uh, kind of strangely written uh, orchestral stuff, and we played jazz, mm. and we had all these different elements and all mixed into one bag. Right and on top of it, with very, very intelligent uh, lyrics and making fun of everything and everybody, very entertaining, and it was a great, great time. Yeah. And uh, the the if you there's a bunch of records that that you should listen to, and you would you would uh, say, oh my God, yes, mm. this is this is really, really interesting and great. Right. And and on top of it, of course. When you were in a in a Zappa concert, I'm telling you, you mm-hmm. would. I I remember I was 1974, I think it was. I went, I came to America the first time to 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 check out the scene here, and I came over here, and here was John McLaughlin was playing. Oh right. In a double in a double bill, McLaughlin, Mahavishnu uh, Orchestra, and then Frank Zappa and the Mothers. Mm. And and after. John McLaughlin, you know, and I was a huge fan of John's. Uh, I saw the universe. I'm mm. sitting there. I, I, I couldn't believe how fantastic the concert was. And then it's done, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm saying to myself, well, what, what the hell could Frank now do to, you know, to overcome that? Yeah. And Frank comes on, and after five minutes, I had forgotten that I ever see I had seen oh McLaughlin. Gosh, wow! Frank Frank was that good. <clears throat> wow, you know it was yeah. just outrageous. Wow, okay. And and that's that that sort of sums it up. Yeah. When we played festivals in Europe, and we played, you know, with Peter Gabriel and and uh, Genesis and all these big names back then in the huge festivals. Frank always wanted to play very early. They they always mm. wanted to have him last. And he said, no, no, I want to play early because 
uh, that way people are still fresh. Yeah. They can still understand and hear, and they are alert. Yeah. And may the Lord have mercy on the guys that play <laughs> after us. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. And that, that, that really was what, what Frank was all about. Okay. Um, he was quite amazing life. Yeah, I, I, I guess I maybe that's the thing. Maybe I need to go see one of Dweezil's show or, shows or mm -hmm. something like that um, and really appreciate it. It seems to me when I look back at your career, that transition of going from Zappa's guy to the, you know, the arranger and keyboardist and producer that you would become, a, one of the key figures in that transition seems to be Ron Nevison. Would you agree? Working with him and working on some of those albums, do I have that right? Uh, well, I mean, the situation was, it was less Ron Nevison. Ron Nevison was, was a producer that I worked for as an arranger. But... Uh, the, the real guy who got me into the studio scene, right when, after, I, after leaving Frank in 1980, mm -hmm. uh, I, I became a studio player, basically. Mm -hmm. And the guy who, who really was responsible for my studio career was Jeff Pocaro. Uh, oh, really? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it was after a few months of... of uh, Starting in the in the studio scene where I got one little job here and one little job over there. Then one day a producer calls me and I'm on the date and there's mm. Jeff Pocaro. Oh wow! Drums. Wow! And you know I've always, uh, you know I mean I played with with Bozio and mm -hmm. and Vinnie Caliuta, the, probably the the greatest drummers on earth. Yeah. And so I, for me, listening to albums where Jeff was on. You know, it was it always felt good. It was mm -hmm. nice, but it, it, there was nothing where I thought, "Oh my God, mm. it's fantastic!" You mm. know, what 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 does it make so different? Well, yeah. On that first session, I'm sitting there, and uh, we're running through the track here, reading through the music, and after the second bar, I knew time had never felt that good in my life before. Really? You know, that was Jeff. Wow. Jeff, Jeff's uh, groove yeah. was the most amazing groove ever. Wow. It was just fantastic. Wow. And after the session, right, he comes over to me and with his low voice, he goes, hey, Peter, uh, you want to do more of these dates? I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, give me your phone number. The next day, four producers called me. No way. And, and I was literally, my, you know, I was, with Frank, I was making 50 grand a year, and uh, I started <laughs> with Jeff, and I was making 450 a oh year. Oh my gosh! Wow! <laughs> wow! We literally, we literally went from session to session to session to session. Yeah, it was just outrageous. Incredible. And he was fantastic, and we had nothing but the greatest times. That's great. And I did so many dates, it was it's not funny. Yeah. I didn't and, realize and, you were part of that same pack. I don't think I knew yeah. that. Wild. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, David David Page wanted yeah. to do less, I remember back then. And, uh -huh. and David Foster was already a producer, yeah. so he didn't want to do dates anymore. And I just slid in, and, and I was the... Were you ever considered to join Toto? No, okay. no, 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 no. That that was Dave's band, and okay, and 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 Steve was his his brother, and so no. Yeah, but okay. I, you know, I loved everybody. They were all friends. Sure. 
and they were great. Okay. You know, fabulous. I I always I love Toto and then Yeah. You know, Lucas Lucas is like a brother of mine. Oh, good. Him. Good. I do fabulous, too. Fabulous. I just finished reading his book. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um okay. And and and, and what was so great about their whole thing was that it was so unpretentious. Mm -hmm. They were just great at what they did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was it. They worked with the best engineers, best producers. They knew what to do, what not to do. Yeah. They knew how to get the best out of everything. And, and for me, it was an incredible learning procedure. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. I, um, it was great, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I was looking over, when I look over your discography and I see albums like Rex Smith or um, Grace Slick's software album, and I know Ron's involved. I uh, I reached out to Ron. In fact, Ron's been on this show a couple of times too, and we talked about you a little bit. And I reached out to him too and asked him what he thought, and he I'll read you what he said. Peter was an essential player in the early 80s and was on the cutting edge as far as new synths and amazing player. He was not born of the kind of rock hard rock culture that I was involved with. So if I wasn't careful, everything would go like Peter Gabriel, is what he said. Survivor, yeah. Heart, Starship, all benefited from his talents. And then he says, black black leather pants and all, he was incredible. So are, were you known to wear black leather pants a lot back then? Uh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I wonder if that was like your uniform. Like Peter Wolf is known for wearing his uh, these great black leather pants or something like that <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay okay cool okay well look let me throw some names at you i want to um yeah. some of the things and in some places i'm not exactly sure if you just played on them or wrote them or produced them or what but the commodore's night shift is still one of the greatest most beautiful songs ever How were you involved with that? Uh, well, Dennis Lambert produced, and uh, he brought me in. He said, uh, "Do 
can you do the Commodores with me? And I said, uh, I'm sorry, Dennis, but I I already said yes to another record, so I, you know, I, I don't have time. So he said, well, you know what? Think about it. Hmm. I'll make you my co-producer with a point, and uh, you blow the other record off. Nice. So I said, well, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. Wow. <laughs> so I did it, and uh, Dennis had the song you know, called Night Shift, mm -hmm. and uh, he played it to me, and I, at that point in time, I was listening to uh, Paul Young, mm. and and uh, I, I I loved that, that that first Paul Young record, and, I, and, and Pino Palladino was playing Fretless Bass, mm. and I said, you know what, why don't we do this totally different, and, and I came up with that idea to do it like that and he said okay you know it, nobody, nobody cared about the song mm -hmm. wow. uh, it was sort of an, an afterthought mm -hmm. and uh, so we did it like that and I remember that I brought in uh, Vinny Caliuda mm -hmm. and I said Vinny uh, I want you to play an ultra low kick drum like a 26 kick and a piccolo snare and then your toms I want to, you to have two 8 inch toms slightly detuned and two 16, two huge ones. Mm. So it's like, you know, right. that leaves that leaves a lot of space in the mid range, right? Uh huh. And and that's what we did. And I played I played the bass with a with a DX7, mm. basically. And that was the record. We did it literally in two takes or something. Oh my gosh! And, and I have those two takes. And it was great. Wow. And then we put we put uh, Paul Jackson Jr., mm -hmm. Paul on it, and the vocals, and that was it. Wow. Nothing else on it. Wow. And because of the fact that the that there is no that there was nothing in the mid range, that bass sounded so good mm -hmm. and so real. Mm -hmm. You know. Interesting. And that was the re that was the record, and then when Motown got the whole album, right? They came back and they said, well, you know, we, we, we like it, but we especially love that track. Mm -hmm. And Dennis and me, we said, you really do? Mm -hmm. We love that the best. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was sort of a, you know, a, when you fall in love with something, yeah. but, you, but you think, well, the record company is never going to get that. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. they did. They got it. And they released it in England. And in England, it, it raced to number one. And then all of a sudden, Motown America had a story to tell. They That's said, great. Well, you know, this is this is the number one in England, and all of a sudden, the radio stations would jump on it. Wow! And it and it really worked. Yeah, it's such a special song, and it, it was so timely with the deaths of Marvin Gaye and Jackie Wilson right at that time, yeah, yeah. and kind of paying yeah. tribute to those two. And um, yeah, it's beautiful, and it's eerie, and it's kind of sexy, but it's sort of it's unlike anything else you've out at that time i just i love that track i wondered what the story was mm. um speaking of loving tracks i still love who's johnny by l debarge what's the, <laughs> now l's had a tough go the last few years unfortunately but tell me what's the story behind that one
Well, Al was one of the most most talented people I've ever worked with. Wow. Al DeBarge, uh, you know, I, I don't know what happened, but I think there was a, a lot of drugs involved. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he, he just... All I can tell you is uh, he would come to the studio and, and he was always... You know, we, we really liked each other and, and it was it was easy working with him. But he sometimes wouldn't show up in the studio, yeah. <clears throat> you know. And, mm-hmm. and after three days of Al not showing up, I called his manager. I said, you know, please help me out, Tony. Uh, uh, Al is not coming. You know, mm-hmm. where is he? Mm-hmm. He goes, ah, I'm having a t- hard time reaching him and blah, blah, blah. blah. I, I promise I will get to him. And, you know, and I was working basically... At the at that point in time, I was I was doing um, working with Kenny Loggins at the mm-hmm. same time, mm. and I said, uh, you know, if he doesn't show up, I can't. I have to work on on Kenny, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I know. So the next morning, we always started at ten in the morning. I come to the studio, and I hear, you know, you come into that front room, and and the door is open, and in the studio, somebody is playing acoustic piano. But unbelievable stride piano. Really? You know, you know, stride with the yeah. left hand going boom, bam, boom, bam, boom, bam, boom, bam. Yeah. And I'm going, holy shit, who is that? And I walk out, and it's Al. Oh man. And and he was, you know, he on the early uh, DeBarge record, he would, you know, a la Stevie Wonder, he would play all the parts. He yeah. Played drums, played bass, played guitar, played keyboards. I had no idea that he could play stride piano like no that. No way. Huh. So you know that that was Al. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a great song. Was it, was he always? Were you involved in like selecting who was going to be singing that song? Did the makers of Short Circuit say we've got a theme song? Who are we going to have sing no. it? Or no, no, it was it was. Uh, you know, we had they wanted a song. That that would work, and so we came up with that with the idea of, of who oh. Johnny. So you co-wrote and, that one. Yeah. Oh, great! And, Such a great and, song. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. Okay. I, and I, you know, the idea came up, and then I played it for the director, mm-hmm. and he loved it. He immediately said, "Oh, that's funny!" And you know what we could do? We can call him. Mm. It, it, we can. You know, we can we can put a line in where he says in, in the end of the movie, he goes, I don't want to be called number five anymore. Call me Johnny. No. So when you wrote that song, Johnny was just a name off the top of your head? It wasn't because of the title yeah. of the movie specifically? Yeah. Exactly. No way. What? And then, then they put that in after the fact. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's wild. Is yeah, It just, I mean... This just shows that you never know what kind of crazy, off-the-cuff, out-of-the-box idea is going to hit. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just you never, never know. know. No. You never know. I have the, I have the funniest, uh, uh, the craziest thing was, was uh, when I worked with Go West. Yes, I love them. And, I was going to ask them, too. And, and I did The King of Wishful Thinking.
when they, they came to me and they said, uh, we have this song, would, would you like to, do you like this band Go West? So I said, yeah, I really like them, great. You know, I only knew their first two records. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we have this song that was written by Martin Page. Mm -hmm. And I said, I love Martin and, and I've worked with him a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and they played me the song and I go, <laughs> I love that song. It's really, really good. And they said, well, you know, we have this movie uh, you know, it's with EMI records. And they said, we have this movie and it's, it has actually nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> but... Uh, But you know they they thought that it it sounds like it could be a really cool mm -hmm. cool record and a contender for for an album you know that, that yeah. can sell a lot of records. I said great, let's do it. <laughs> so I did I did the album and I talked to the to the director and he said you know Peter, unfortunately we we have to hide this song somewhere. Maybe when when uh, when our main actress Julia Roberts when she walks on the street and it, it you hear it for two seconds uh -huh. coming out of a out of a store or something you know <laughs> so that we can justify that it's on the record we like the song right. but, you know the king of wishful thinking has nothing to do with, <laughs> with the story of the thing i said absolutely i i totally hear you i like the song too so let's just do it <laughs> great so i'm doing the song After after the whole thing is done, right? The uh -huh. executives from Disney come over and from EMI, and they hear the song, and you know they look at me with big big eyes and they go, "Oh my God, that sounds like a smash hit." I said, "Yeah, I think so too. I, I love it too. You know, it's it's it sounds really good." They said, "Well, wow, thank you, Peter." And blah blah blah. They they leave, right? I go to England to work with the Who. I receive a phone call from my engineer saying, Peter, uh, they want to, to uh, you know, we've mixed it and mm -hmm. I delivered it and they want the multi-track. Mm. I say, the multi-track? That's strange. Don't they like the mix? I don't know, but they want to try out something. Uh -huh. he said. So uh, I said, well, you know, fine, send them the multi-track. They sent them the multi-track. I got a phone call three days later. Uh, You know, and this is this is EMI. And Peter, you won't believe it. Uh, that we tried this out on on the uh -huh. on the uh, the movie, and now the director is totally in love with it. <laughs> and your song uh, is the first three minutes of of the that that you hear in the in the uh, picture where where uh, uh, Gear Richard, Richard Gear drives yeah. through the Lotus yes. uh, through Beverly Hills, right? The entire time is your song. Right? Oh my gosh! I said, but, but wait a minute. He told me it has nothing to do <laughs> with the film. He said, well, we don't know, but it's in there now, and he loves it. I go great. <laughs> no way! Oh, that's so, great. So you never know. You yeah. Know? You you really never know what what rings a bell. You never know. No. Now, you dropped a little nugget of goodness right there that I didn't know about. You were working with The Who? What were you doing? Townsend called me uh, to do a song on the Iron uh, Giant. Oh, Iron right, Man. right, right. Yeah. Iron Man or Iron Giant. Iron Giant, I think it was. Yeah. And, and he said, um, I want for this, I want one song on this, on this thing uh, that basically... Puts the who together. 
They oh, haven't no. played together for 10 or 12 years or something. And he says, and I want them, I want the Who to perform this song. And it was um, Fire mm. by Arthur. Oh, uh, The Crazy Life of Arthur Brown. Arthur Brown. That's yes. It. Arthur Brown. Yes. Um, gosh, I can't. Rem- oh, I can't remember. Anyway, yes, people yeah, are yelling anyway, at so, the yeah, podcast yeah. right now. Anyway, exactly. go ahead. <laughs> so, so uh, he he played drums and, and you know and, and we did the whole thing and and it sounded fabulous and it's on that record. Oh wow, that's wild! I didn't realize just, that. Just that's check fun. it out. It's okay, a, it's a it's a great sounding track. Okay, I will. Um, now you the mentioned- only the only guy who was not playing. Was the bass player, the Who bass player, John Entwistle? He wasn't on John that. John Entwistle? No, he mm. was not on that. I played bass on it. Oh no way! <laughs> yeah, okay. Because it needed it needed a funkier approach. Yeah. Okay. And, um, now you mentioned he, Kenny Loggins earlier. You worked on the Back yes. to Avalon album, and you yes. did something with playing with the boys. How did you yeah, come I, into yeah, Kenny I, Loggins' work? Say it was.
Yeah, I, I wrote playing with the boys. You did? I don't know if I knew that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and uh, yeah, that was that was you know for Top Gun, and because of that, then uh, Kenny called me and you know and he said. Uh, I would like you to produce my next record. Mm. I didn't have time to do the whole album because I already had committed to something else. So I did half the record. Oh, you did half of Back to Avalon? Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I did half of that, and uh, uh, and he was so sweet. He, you know, I love Kenny. Kenny sure, I do too. Great, great person and, and great artist. And, yeah, I remember, you know, when working with Kenny, Kenny got so bored of himself <laughs> that he would he would go in and and say to me, you know what, Peter, uh, how about if I sing that song like Al Jarreau? <laughs> <laughs> he it, could do it, that, I, actually. It, He's got I, soul. Said, yeah. You know, I, I say I would say to Kenny, sure, sure, that's right. So uh -huh. He goes in. Well, he sounds just like Al Jarreau, yes. right? Yep. I said, Kenny, it's like, listen, you, it's fabulous what you're doing, but, you know, this is a Kenny Loggins album. Uh -huh. People want to hear you, not Al Jarreau. Yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know, you're right. That's like, <laughs> and he goes, now, wait a minute. How, how, how about if I approach it totally different? How about if I sing it like Bruce Springsteen? No. I would say... Okay. All right. Go, right. Well, he sounded just like Bruce Springsteen, right? No way. <laughs> I said, Kenny, <laughs> Kenny, we can't do it. I'm, I'm flabbergasted at how great you're doing yeah. all of yeah. this. But they want the Kenny Loggins album. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, but you know, it just goes to show you how incredibly talented the guy is. Yeah, he's, he's great. Like, all over, he can do anything. Yeah, really, I agree. Really incredible guy. I really like him a lot, um, and I, and I feel like he's a little underrated. You know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. I don't know if people. I feel like people kind of put him in a box, like he's this soft rock guy or whatever. But he's a lot more vast and diverse than that. And I don't know that everyone absolutely sees that. Absolutely, you I, know what I mean. I actually, you know, uh, and and on top of it, he is fabulous on stage, and he's a great mm -hmm. actor. He is, yeah. So I wanted I wanted Kenny actually in Sweet Toxins. Ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah, and I talked to him and and I gave him the script which he really liked, and then in the end uh, he backed out and he said, Peter, you know I I'm getting to a point now where I want to do less and less, mm. and I don't want to commit to you know like a half a year of, yeah. of uh, uh, you know standing in front of the camera and I, I totally understood yeah but you know he told me the story that that uh Barbara Streisand actually um they offered him the role in in uh, oh yeah Star is Born Star is Born yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. wild so so and and, and he, also, he also then, then he, he stepped away from me and said I can't right I can't do it oh, but he's a, you know he's He's a fabulous guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and multi-talented. Yeah, seems like it. Um, okay, one of my all-time favorite bands is Big Country. And you worked on the Peace in Our Time album. Who owes the money? Who owes the need? Who 
knows the strains of misery Or the pursuit free And the gunmen weep Or the gangsters sell And the law is cheap When the smugglers go Give us Rooms in city slums, minds arrest us till the air mail comes from the far west floor to the western mine. Or catch a topic or a party line. And the hardest love of all is to forgive, and as the world comes tumbling down. Yeah, and I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious what that experience was like because, um, you know, Stewart would ultimately commit suicide. Sadly, did you get along with those guys? Did you get along with Stewart? Did you see signs of any of this? I, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I think I'm an easy guy to get along with. Okay. So uh, I never had a problem with with anybody. So it it was it was a, a. a really, really interesting, very different kind of record. Mm-hmm. That it was the uh, piece in our time record. Uh, when that record was done, I remember that uh, it it was really the management's fault that they did not explode. Mm. Because uh, I played, we played the record for Mo Austin. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Chairman of, of uh, Warner Brothers back then, and 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 Mo loved it and said, "Oh my God, this is going to be so fantastic and mm-hmm. huge." And they set up this this uh, for for big country to play on the Live Aid tour. Oh, and yeah. and the management said, "No, no, we we're not going to do that. Uh, we have a tour set up in Russia." What? Yeah, wow. and, and so they didn't take big country, and they took you too. Oh, and you boy. and you too exploded. Yeah, yeah. And it was so stupid because I'm telling you, we could have had the U2 success. Yes, you could have. Yep. You know, <laughs> and 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 it was it was so stupid. I started screaming at at their manager management on the phone saying you know how can you do this yeah want to set this up for you you're in there you're gonna be on stage with with the biggest acts of all time mm-hmm. you know going everywhere on earth you should do this and they mm-hmm. said no we have this to and you know i i couldn't believe wow that, that the bands basically didn't jump up and say let's do this you yeah know, against the management i they they were just that's too bad. Yeah, Those guys deserve so more. Stupidity. Yeah. 
Yeah, they deserve more. They're kind of, especially in the States, you know this, viewed as sort of a one-hit wonder or even sort of in some ways like a gimmick, you know, like, the, oh, the bagpipe band. Okay, I get it. Yeah. But there was more to it than that that not everyone more. got a chance to see. Not in the States anyways, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they had this, the the bagpipe, the bagpipe band. It was, it was really the guitar work. Of yeah, the it was a neat bow. Yeah. Played, yeah played very very interesting guitar yeah. stuff and and because of that it, it had such a sound and yeah the, and Stuart was a was a great singer great he had great vision mm. you know yes yeah. he was he I think he was a manic depressive yeah basically that's know? what it sounds it, like it was it was very hard for him to cope you know but yeah. he had a wonderful family again yeah I, we, we rehearsed in in his house in 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 Scotland, I remember. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in you know, it was outside of, of Edinburgh. I've been I there. Yeah, it's and, uh, and yeah, it's in Dunfermline, and, which is yeah. a little county. Yeah, Wild. exactly, exactly. And and his house, and that was I will never forget that uh, he had this. Uh, when you walked into his house, it was the oldest house in in Scotland. Oh there. man. And when you walked into the house, it, it had a stone entrance, and over the stone entrance, it read, you know, 1009. <laughs> that was when the house was built. Oh, my gosh. 1009. Wow. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, it was amazing. Wow. It, a, it, was a, it had a huge ballroom. Oh, my gosh. You know, Good for very, him. Very, so great. sad. And it's sad, place. yes, and it's sad that a guy like him who writes these very positive, uplifting, you know, rabble-rousing type songs was dealing with such manic depression behind the scenes and then took his own yeah. life. It's so sad. Yeah, yeah, it was totally sad. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I, yeah. And, and his family was great, great wife, great kids. So, hmm. you know, I, I never understood that. That's too bad. Really sad. Yeah. Um, okay, let me ask you, let me throw another one at you. Lou Graham, Long Hard Look. There are, um, okay, I love so much of what you do. Um, if I could be critical for just a moment. I yeah. like that album a lot. I like it. I own it. I love Lou. I think he's one of the greatest voices in rock history. There is a snare drum sound on that album that is incessant. Every song has this very mechanized sort of snare drum snare drum song sound you know what i'm talking about
there's just this drum sound that goes, and it, but it sounds real. It doesn't necessarily sound like a drum machine, but it, uh, every song has this, and I like all the songs, especially, you know, just between you and me, and there's some great stuff on there. Yeah. But uh, this one sound. Anyway, I was just curious if you had a story about the making of that album. Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. It was, uh, the, you know, it, it's like sometimes we, we were working out of a studio. Well, there is a story. Yeah, there is a story. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> it's a funny story, actually. We were working out of a studio in Thousand Oaks. Had a nice big room. And, and you know... Every every time you you do a drum sound, uh, you sort of rely on the room. Mm, mm-hmm. How how does that room sound that you put your drums in? And and maybe it was not the greatest drum sound in the room. You know, I, I give you that. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I love the but, album, but there's just yeah. Anyway, continue. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but but uh, it was it was a, a, a one day I get a phone call and it's. Uh, from a music supervisor, uh, I don't remember his name, but he calls me and he goes, Peter, uh, I have a movie here uh, with uh, Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> with Sly, and, and he wants a, a rock and roll track <laughs> to end the movie with. Do you have anything? <laughs> I said, well, rock and roll track. Yeah, I'm right now. I'm working with Lou Graham. He goes, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, Lou Graham is exactly what what the doctor ordered. You know, I'm sure that 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 Sly would love to have Lou. Uh, do you have something for us? I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, do you want me to send you a, a song over that we're working on? Yeah. So I sent him just between you and me, which nice. I thought was a was a hit record. Yeah. So he calls back and goes, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, but, you know, could you, it's, it's a little bit to this and a little bit to that. And, and Sly really feels like it should be more like this. Mm. <clears throat> so I say, you know, I, I remember, I think it was, his name was, first name was Steve. I said, Steve, you know, I know we're in Thousand Oaks. Sly lives in Hidden Valley, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. That, that's right next to Thousand Oaks in in the back there. Uh-huh. I said, please, you know, I hate to talk through nothing against you, but, you know, I don't know what the fuck uh, <laughs> Sly wants, right? He, uh, but he is, why doesn't he just come over by the studio on uh-huh. his way home, right? <laughs> They're filming on the, in downtown. He's driving out the 101. Make it getting off at the same exit, and <laughs> instead of making a left going to his house, he makes a right, drives for 300 yards, and here's our studio. And he can come in, we play him the thing, and he tells me exactly what he wants and what he doesn't like. So, oh, so you know, <laughs> you know, I so an hour later, I get a phone call from Sly, and I, I'm telling him the same thing. I said, you know, it's very nice, Mr. Stallone, to to talk to you but it's it's so hard to to read what you want uh, from a music supervisor who mm-hmm. puts his sort of thing on it why don't you just come over and, and tell me what you like and what you don't like he goes okay okay i'll do it you know so he <laughs> comes by the studio i play him the track he goes oh my god that's fantastic and that sounds like a smash and i love the song it's done great <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, I call, I call Steve. I said, Steve, that's he loves it. Yeah, it's done. He goes, great, wonderful. Now my next phone call was to Doug Morris, mm. head of Atlantic, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I said, Doug, uh, Sylvester Stallone was over here, and, and he heard that track, and he wants it to be the 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 end. Uh, you know the you know when the film yeah. stopped, right? The, the end uh, track. End of credits, the movie. right? End credits, right? Yeah. And Doug Morris says, "No, he can't have it." What? I said, "I said really? Why?" He goes, "Listen, uh, they want half of the song. They want half of the the royalties or whatever." Oh. And he says, "And we don't need them. Yeah. We don't need them. We're gonna make this into a hit record no matter what." <laughs> so, wow. So Atlantic couldn't get a deal with with uh, the the film company. And so Slide never got, got, no way. got the track, but it still, it was a number two. Yes. Wow, it's, learning this yeah, inside it, politics that goes on behind the scenes is so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But Doug was right. You know, he made yeah. it into a into a hit record without the movie. Wow, wow. Okay. Oh, that's, that's great. Like, that's a little story. I love it. it. These stories are gold. You're so good at this, Peter. Thank you for giving me all these stories. This is exactly the kind of stuff <laughs> I wanted. So fun. Um, okay, let me ask you about a very specific, very unique album that I love that I don't know that that many people know about, and that's Chicago's Stone of Sisyphus album. Yes. From what I understand, yes. I think it was recorded around 1996 or so, but it didn't come out yeah. until like 2008. I read a book yeah. called like The Best Music Never Sold or something like that. There was a chapter on the making of that album and how it, the whole book was about albums that exist that no one knows about or can buy. And that was on there. And I went out and bought the album. And I love this album. But it is so weird. There's rapping well, on there. It's so different. What's the story of this album?
stay out of hell. I was praying for a sign or a vision or a message to you, been there, you won't get well. I was sitting in a room, I never recognized it with a picture before my eyes. I was sleeping in the middle of the bed again, I'm not sure this qualifies. The story was politics. Oh. It's all politics. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the Chicago guys for a long time. And we always had a great, a great relationship. And then they called me and they said, Peter, we finally, we want you to do our next record. Mm. And uh, I said, great. I'd love to. We started working, right? Warner Brothers was totally behind it. We did the record, then I go in, I play it for for uh, Michael Austin. Michael is sitting there going, oh my God, this is a hit, and mm. this is a hit, and this is a hit, it's fabulous. The next thing I know is they shelf it. Mm. I go, w w wait a minute, wait, wait. Right, I call Michael, he said, uh, Peter, you know, after he doesn't get on the phone with me, I, it's hard to reach him. Finally, I have him there. And he goes, I, you know, there is something that's larger than the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I said, what is it? He says, uh, we wanted to buy the catalog, oh. the Chicago catalog from CBS, from Sony. And they didn't want to sell it to us. And when we saw that we couldn't get the, the catalog, this is their last record on Warner Brothers. They can now go anywhere, right? Yeah. Why would we spend all the money in promoting this record and then sort of lose the act? Oh, interesting. Oh, my gosh. What? So this I'm sitting so here and going, oh, well, I mean, why Why the hell didn't you guys tell me before? I spent half half yeah. a year, yeah. you know, giving my, my left arm and right arm to, to make this a killer record. Yeah. And, and now you're sitting on it. You're not doing anything. So that was it. Man, I, uh, that, stuff like that is so dumb. And yet you hear these kinds of stories a lot. I am curious, though, if when you went into the, did you Did Chicago come to you and say, Peter, we want to do something very different on this album? No. We, no. No, no, no. I, I was a big Chicago fan from their early records, you know, uh -huh. where they all played. Yeah. And and uh, it was not the, the the sort of the hit production. You know, hits, they, they are smart people. They're great musicians. And and with, it, with, with some really good guiding, you uh -huh. know, they're always good for hits. Yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't, I didn't uh, look outside. Mm. I said, well, you know, why don't... You guys come up with the right stuff, and, and we will. You have to play this. Yeah. You have to play everything yourselves. You're you're great players, so let's let's just go and do it. Fun. I don't I don't need to hire outside guys. Yeah. You know, with Tristan Bolden on drums and right. Jason Chef on bass, and 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 uh, Robert on on keys. Mm -hmm. you, you don't need anything. You know. Yeah. Yes, I can I can maybe help out and play a little here and there. But, you know, I, I want to hear that horn section, yeah. you know, a great guitar player, great vocalist. There's, there's no reason why you can't do everything. Yeah. I want Chicago. 
right? right? I want you guys to play everything. Right. They loved it, and and uh, and we worked really hard, and they were really good, and everything came out fabulously. Uh, that's great. So well, I'm glad that album is eventually was eventually uh, you know available for purchase because that is that thing is great. I love yeah, it. but it should it should have come out. It, it should have. Should have had like three big hits. Yes. Yes. Which it could have had easily if a record company would have released it correctly and put the push on it. I agree. But they never did. No. You know, when oh, it came out, weird. it was like 12 years later or something. Yeah. You know, um, so what is that? Why do you think people call, call you? Call, especially back then. I mean, look, we established you've worked behind some of the biggest, you know, generational hits of that time. You sort of defined the sound in a lot of ways of 80s rock or synth rock or rock pop or whatever you want to call it why do you think people were calling you why i mean you know we've talked about wang chung starship and people like pete townsend and lou graham these guys are calling you what do you think they're going for when they do that is it commerciality or is it a work well, ethic I, I, or what i have no idea huh. but, uh, all, all i can say is you're you're going through uh, four different stages yeah in, okay in, in your life uh, and, and to quote uh, David Foster, who, who summed it up wonderfully, I feel <laughs> it's exactly right. He said, the four stages of, of your life are, uh, the first is, who the hell is David Foster? Right. <laughs> the second stage is, get me David Foster. Uh-huh. The third stage is, get me a young David Foster. <laughs> and the fourth stage is, who is David Foster? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh, it's so true. That's great. Okay. So, okay. So I I feel it's, it's he was exactly right. right. So, he is. You know, all of a sudden I was the I was the the flavor of the you year. Were. Yeah, you, know? you did it. Um, I am curious if back then, especially if there was anyone who you wanted to work with and it didn't work out or they wanted to work with you and it didn't work out. Is there an artist in particular that you just think, boy, if I had applied my golden touch at that time to that band, we could have made history. Who would that have been? Was there anyone like that? Yes. Oh, who? <laughs> yes, the band? There were a few. There were a few. Okay. Uh, one was was uh, Tina Turner. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tina Tina, uh, you know, uh, Roger Davis, her manager, mm -hmm. wanted me. Mm -hmm. I had a meeting with him. It was fabulous. Uh, I had a meeting. You know, I never actually uh, had a meeting with Tina because she was in Switzerland. But we talked on the phone a few times. It was great. And I really, really wanted to work with her. But I was in the middle of other productions and I couldn't leave, right? Mm. And it, it had to be right then and there. Yeah. And so I never got to work with her and I would have loved to do a record with her. That was Tina Turner. Mm -hmm. Another one was uh, back then, uh, Madonna. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I could have done a Madonna record and, and it didn't work out because mm. I was not free at that point in time. Mm. And... For me, the biggest of all that that I I really really wanted was uh, uh, Miles Davis. Oh, really? You could have? Yes. Did you have a chance? I could have. Yes. Ooh, I, wow. I talked to uh, uh, what was the head of jazz at Warner Brothers, 
and he asked me, he called me, I'm in the studio at, at Bill Schnee, I remember it uh -huh. like, like it was yesterday, and he says, uh, uh, would you like to produce Miles? Oh. And I go, are, are you kidding me? I mean, I would give my right hand and yeah. left hand to work with Miles, right? Yeah. Especially since since Joe Zavino was my my sort of my father. When I won the jazz festival in '68, he was the he was the guy, the keyboard guy. Oh, right? really? Who judged me? Yeah, and he was Viennese like I was, ah. and and you know he he was through all the years. Uh, he was sort of mentoring me, and, and mm. he was my idol. Yeah, always. Yeah. So, so you know, and Joe was was uh, like Miles said, he was the only white guy he ever liked. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, and, and Miles was the I, I was the biggest Miles fan on earth. So I I wanted to work with him, and uh, so uh, Tommy Tommy he calls me and he says, well. well Miles wants to work with you. He loves your stuff. Uh -huh. I go, really? Uh, when would it have to happen? He goes, well, now. Mm. Well, I said, you know, I'm in the middle. I'm with Boss Gags, and then afterwards, Sergio Mendes. I, I've already, wow. you know, signed the contracts for those records, so I can't do it right away. He goes, uh, uh, you know what? Here's his number. Call him. So I called Miles, right? Oh. And then, you know, so first was the butler, uh -huh. then it was his wife, Cecily Tyson, right? Whoa! Finally, Miles is on the phone, and he goes, Peter, uh, come over, let's play. I said, Miles, I'm in the studio, right? It's it's like uh, two in the afternoon. Uh -huh. I'm in the I'm in the studio. I'm <clears throat> I can't leave right now. He goes, Okay, okay, tonight at ten, right? You come over, we play. I said, Miles, I'm I'm here till like three, four in the morning. You know, it's, it's like I I can't leave right now. Yeah. You know, or it, it, it's it's hard. I'm in the middle of production. He goes, oh, okay, tomorrow morning at ten. Okay, you come over, we play. I said, Miles, <laughs> you're not getting it, Miles. Miles, I'm so sorry, but I'm I'm. You know, I have yeah. to be here. I'm working seven days a week because as soon as I finish the Boss Gags record, you know, I have committed to do a Sergio Mendes record. So it will be, you know, I'll, I'll have time in maybe two, three months. Big pause. And then Miles says, Peter, when your mind is clear, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to do, to wow. do a, a record with him. That is incredible. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then and then uh, I bought a house in Malibu. Uh-huh. And it was it was the house of uh, Elliot Roberts. I know that name. How do I know that name? Elliot Roberts uh, was the manager of Joni Mitchell. Oh, and, right. And Neil Young. Yes. And he just died, I think, a year ago. Right. Yeah. And and uh, and Elliot was a chain dope smoker. Oh. oh. You know, I mean, I mean, literally, one joint he would put one joint out and uh -huh. take the next one. Oh wow! And and he was like constantly smoking uh -huh. 
and obviously the best dope. Of course. So, so <laughs> one of his best friends was Miles Davis. Ah, right? yeah. Who, who lived literally like five, six hundred yards away from him. And when I bought the house, uh, Miles had signed in the concrete in front of my bedroom. Re oh, I, he signed his name? I th I'm sorry, I thought it's you were going to say yeah, he signed he like He signed his name something. in the concrete. No right outside way. of my bedroom. Oh my gosh. So you're looking at so, his signature every day going into your bedroom. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So it's, wow. it was, you know, it's, it's a, it's a strange thing, life. Yeah. How it, yeah. How it all like, what, what happens and why things happen and how it happened. Yeah. How they happen, you know? Yeah. Um, that's my Miles Davis story. That's wild. Good. I have a few more I want to throw at you. But we should talk about heart. Um, speaking of Ron, I had Ron on here to, a couple of times, one to discuss his own career and then one to discuss that heart album from 1985 that was so mm -hmm. huge. You play a big part in that. What was it like working with heart at that time? Specifically, these dreams and what about love? You had a hand in both of those. First of all, the, the <laughs> Ron Neverson, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Ron called me and he said, you have to do heart with me. I said, uh, you know, Ron, I'm sorry, but I can't do it because I'm doing the already this other thing. And he said, well, you know, if you do heart with me, I make you my co-producer with a point, just like uh, you did on Night Shift. Hmm. I said, great. You know, I never uh -huh. signed a contract. You know, he was my friend. Sure. When, when Ron, when somebody says to me, hey, I make you my co-producer with a point, I don't need a contract. It's done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We had the same manager, Michael Lipman, fabulous guy, mm -hmm. uh, who is, by the way, my manager again after all these Oh, years. wow. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, I'm doing hard. Martin Page sends me some some songs and here's a song called these dreams uh -huh. and i listen to the song i love this song it's fantastic i'm sitting in an airplane with ron 
flying up to to Seattle to rehearse with the band. I say, Ron, I found a song that we're going to do. He says, really? Good. Play it to me. Mm-hmm. So I put the, put the headphones on. He listens to the song. He goes, nah. <laughs> nice. Terrible. <laughs> I say, what? Uh-huh. Ron, Ron, this is this is a this is a beautiful song, and it's it's it, it would be a smash for them. Mm-hmm. He listen, yeah. Let me listen again. Listen, no, Peter, that's that's no. You're not. You you're wrong. This is a terrible song. <laughs> I I go, Ron, Ron, no, no, it, you're wrong. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> we talk about something else. Right after an hour of flight, I'm still listening. Uh, with the headphones, he goes, what, what are you listening to? <laughs> I said, I'm listening to that same song. Uh-huh. Listen again. Oh, let me hear it again. I listen. He goes, Peter, this is, this, is not, this is not a good song. It's terrible. Right. <laughs> I go, Ron, listen, if you want me to be, my, to be your co-producer on this, we're doing this fucking song. Uh-huh. He goes, okay, well, listen, we can try it. Right? Uh-huh. So we go up, we rehearse with the band, right? We do all this stuff, right? Danny Kamasi, great drummer. I'm having a good time with him. At the end of the rehearsal, right, Ron introduces this song, and he goes, well, guys, uh, Peter found this song on the plane, and I hate it. <laughs> I think it's terrible, right? But you, you guys be the judge. Right, I feel like you know what a fucking introduction. <laughs> he, he just killed my song, right? We play the song, and and Anne goes, "Yeah, Ron, I don't like that song. I really don't like it." But Nancy says, mm-hmm. "I don't know. I like that song." You know, I uh-huh. I thought, well, you know, Nancy wanted to sing it, right? I'm going like, you know, I. I thought that Anne was the big singer in this band here. Uh-huh, right? uh-huh. So uh, I'm going, holy shit, what uh-huh. do I do? Uh, so I see my my uh, my whole uh, song going down the drain. Uh-huh. And, and uh, you know, then afterwards I said, well, you know, it's better if Nancy sings it. Who, who the hell knows? Right. So we're recording with it with the the song with Nancy and Nancy is singing the shit out of it. Uh-huh. She sounded fabulous. She sounded better than than you know than I've ever heard her sound. Yeah. And we that performance off of that that rough that's the record. Yeah. Because she could never sound that good again. Yeah. Okay, one song in particular that I wanted to ask you about is uh on our own from Patty or on my own from Patty LaBelle. I didn't realize yes. until getting ready to talk to you that I that you were involved in that.
how did um, yeah how did okay because that's a great I have a good story there too oh good let's hear it I especially I'm a, I love Michael McDonald well I love Patty too but how did this merger even happen well how this happened it was like this uh, Danny Huff my old friend and great guitar player calls me and he said Peter I just uh, worked with with Pat with uh, Bert Bacharach on his mm. new record and uh, he he cut this track and I played on it but it it's not you know he was not happy with it mm. and and uh, I said to him you know if if anybody can can help you do this then it's Peter Wolf mm -hmm. and Bert says yeah but he's a producer himself and he wouldn't do it and blah 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 and and Danny says well you know I'll call him and I ask. And I immediately said to Danny, you know, Bert Bacharach, I'm a huge fan. Mm -hmm. uh, I would do it in a flash. I don't have any problem. I'll do it for just regular, you know, double scale. Yeah. <laughs> just, like a, just like a regular player. Right. He goes, really? And I said, yeah, sure. So he calls me and then, you know, very nice. And he said, I heard that you want to do it. I said, yes, I would love to. If you want to have me, sure. So we make a date, I come over there, I listen to the track, right? Mm -hmm. And and I immediately said, well, you know, I would do this and this and this and change that and change the drum programming and change the bass and, and redo the keyboards. And, mm. and so I did all that. And, uh, you know, and Bert goes, oh, yeah, it's nice, it's great. Mm -hmm. But as I'm listening... And and Patty is is singing her heart out all over the track. Yeah. And it got boring. You know? oh. and, I, and I said, you know, I said, uh, let me try something here. And he goes, sure. And I, and I say, and and uh, Carol Bear Sega mm -hmm. is sort of sleeping on the couch in the <laughs> studio back there, right? <laughs> and she hasn't wow. said a word, right? Uh -huh. Carol hasn't said a word, uh, and. Uh, and I'm dealing with Bert, and everything is really nice, and, and he's, you know, he's very, very, you know, wonderful guy, and uh -huh. very, uh, very uh, elegant, and yeah. nice, and goes, yeah, this and that. And, and so I said, Bert, if you don't mind, uh, I will, I will, uh, I have an idea, right? Uh -huh. And and uh, I say to the engineer, Paul, when, when I uh, give you a sign, you mute, uh, mute her, uh -huh. and I and I put up a you know a saxophone sound on on my synth, huh. and I said I'll I'll play a duet with her, you know with the, yeah. with the saxophone sound, and I give him the sign right. He mutes the he mutes Patty. I play a part right, then he unmutes her and and back and forth right. Mm -hmm. And when it was done, Carol gets up from the sofa and she goes, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I said, I said, listen, it's not about the sound that uh -huh. I play. It's it's about that I think that that it's too much of her. Uh -huh. Always the same, you know. Maybe maybe you can hire somebody to sing so that there is a different kind of voice or or a saxophone player or something, you know, to do it. And 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 Bert goes, uh huh, uh huh. And Carol goes, yeah, yeah, Bert, <laughs> that's what we should do. So. Then I go to England, I do something in England, I come back to, uh, and I walk into Schnee's studio, and Michael walks out. Oh, dog, no way. Right? Yeah. And, and he goes, oh, Peter, I just sang on your song. 
my song? What 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 song is that? He goes that the the Baccarat song with with uh, uh, Patty Labelle. I said, "Yo, that's fantastic!" Right? <laughs> and then then you know, in a way, uh -huh. I'm taking credit yeah. for coming up with the idea of a duet. No way, no way. <laughs> Just because you wanted to break it up with some saxophone, it yeah, sort of sparked yeah, the idea that a duet would be more interesting. That's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. So that 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 Very really cool. was my idea. That's wild. <laughs> that is wild. And, I love it. And Carol supported it. Yeah. So Excellent. That was, that was um, I am curious about um, the escape the escape club. I'll be there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've had uh, Trevor on the show yeah. as well. We talked about obviously the Wild Wild West is sort of I think their signature song, but that song was actually yeah. higher on the charts. Than that than yeah. the other one was. How did you come yeah. to work with them? Over mountains, over trees, over oceans, over seas, across the desert, I'll be there. In a whisper. The management called me and, mm. and just said if I if I wanted to do a record with him and I said yeah. yeah. Uh, Patty was his name, very okay. nice guy. Okay. And and they were you know the, <laughs> they were very cool people. I liked those guys. Yeah. It was fun, really really fun. And uh, when we worked on the record, uh, it felt like uh, it needed a a ballad because mm -hmm. they, they didn't have one ballad on the record. Mm. So I pushed and pushed and pushed for them to write something in that department. And and they came up with this idea and then I just took it, arranged it totally different and and we did this and it was it was great. Yeah. And uh, when the record came out, the first record, the first single was was a different one. It was not the ballad. It was yeah. Um, uh, uh, oh, I can't uh, remember. I know what you're talking yeah, about. I'm blanking on the name. It was an off-tempo tune. Yeah, right. And it was it, it was good, but it was not great, mm -hmm. right? And this one radio station in in San Diego started playing the the ballad mm. like crazy, and it had and people were responding to the ballad. Yeah, and and you know I. I always felt that that ballad had a magical thing. Yeah, it and, does. And then they release, released it, the ballad, and it shot up the charts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was all over. Yeah. So uh, 
you know, you never know. Yeah, you don't. You really don't know. You can only give it your best shot mm -hmm. and, and hope yeah. that it finds their fans. You know, that's wild. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to ask you about Maurice White. Um, I think he's one of yeah. the great musical geniuses there have ever been. Uh, Earth, Wind, yeah. and Fire are one of the greatest bands that have ever been. And I know you worked, and, and I talked with Martin a little bit about this too, when he was on about the solo album from 1985. Yeah. Um, was it your, was it your I should say, your um, association with Martin that got you in there? How did, how did this project come to be? I, I don't know. Uh, mm. I don't remember. I, all I remember was that, that uh, Maurice Martin and, and uh, the guitar player, what was his name? Fairweather. Brian, Brian Fairweather. Fairweather. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Brian Martin and Maurice and me, we were laying under the console in laughter. <laughs> we, it's just like, really? you know, we had such a good time. We, you know, we met. And, and those two Brits, Martin and Brian, they had just a just such a sense of humor yeah. that you know we were the, the four of us were literally lying under the console we couldn't laugh anymore wow it was so so we had such a good time yeah <laughs> it was it was great it was good. crazy good yeah you co-wrote a couple songs on that album like children of yeah. africa great tune yes. yeah yes, yes. Good. You know, he was the he was the original drummer in in the Ramsey Lewis trio. Really, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Wow. Maurice White was the drummer in the Ramsey Lewis trio. Wow. And, oh my gosh. You know, and this is this is <laughs> these are the little stories in the background. Yes. And he was when you know he was a jazz guy. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then once he started to see. When when uh, Ramsey had this big hit, right, and they would be on tour and they would play thousands of people, mm -hmm. he said, you know, I gotta do something different. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I, I want to play this many people. I don't yeah. want to play jazz for, you know, you know the difference between a jazz player and a blues player. No, uh, -uh. <laughs> a, a blues player plays three notes for ten thousand people. <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so that's, that the same thing happens to, to Maurice White that happens to me with Frank, right? <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, I've never heard that. I like it. Oh, good. Well, wow. I mean, you've worked with so many luminaries in your career. What an amazing career. I got, okay, two last questions. Number one, I think people will want, we try to cover very sensitively the business side of all of this. And you have been obviously yeah. very successful in your career in a lot of different avenues. You talked earlier about your TV show and the production yeah. company and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I am curious, if you stripped all of that away, even today with the business being what it is, could you live off of, we built this city and everybody have fun tonight, royalties for the rest of your life? Badly. Badly? Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was curious because those are huge songs. And I know Jack lives comfortably like he, you know, Wang Chung is, goes out and tours and he doesn't do it most of the time. He doesn't he only plays the shows he wants. And it's because, you know, his the success has afforded him the luxury of doing that if he wants, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. But it, it all depends, you know. Yeah. I, my my family, I God, I, I got used to a certain lifestyle. Sure. That's it. I wouldn't have my my television income. You know, I yeah. couldn't live the way I live. Okay, that makes sense. And and I'm spoiled. Yeah. Well, you you've know? earned it. You know, I mean, we've established well, in this conversation how successful you've been. Well, yeah. yeah. I guess. Thank you. Yes. Well, you did. And it, I'm, it, something I think is it, so interesting is that in this day and age, especially the media and the business being what it is you have no choice but to pivot to other areas. Like you were saying, music was sort of getting boring and drying up and it's not the thing anymore. Not every, you yeah. know this, so many people you work yeah. with probably can't pivot to in the direction that you have and be successful at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. That yeah. is true. So I'm very, I'm very happy Good. that, that uh, you know, I always said, you know, I wrote symphonies. Yeah. I can, I can conduct. I can write, I can arrange, I can be musical director on Broadway, and I can be uh, producing hit records, and I can write film scores. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a way, I can do, in, in music, I, I understand music. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah. Uh, does that mean that, that I get the big movie scores? No. You know, I did I did my share of, of movie scores, mm -hmm. uh, but I never had the right representation in movie mm -hmm. scores. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. If the can I write uh, what what uh, James Newton Howard can write? Mm -hmm. I think so. Wow. Ooh, that would be interesting. You know? Yeah. I. Huh. You know, I've 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 written symphonies. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> wow. Is it is it? Uh, you can do it all. I feel I I feel I can. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's the 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 situation that we all know is uh, it, in record production who is the flavor of the month? Right. You know, oh there's this new producer, he's the he's the greatest and blah blah blah. Uh, same with movie scores. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. here is a, a hit. They come to you and they, and they say to you can you do the exactly the same thing again? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. which, which is a, a terrible, you know, I remember that I worked with, with Bruce Swedeen. Oh, sure. And he was, you know, and uh, 
Bruce is one of the greatest engineers, and, and he did he did Michael Jackson's record. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And when he worked on Bad, which uh-huh. was the second one, he's I, I asked him, I said, so what what are you guys, Quincy and you, doing now with, with the new Michael record? And he goes, well, <clears throat> basically, we're trying to make lightning hit twice mm. in the same place. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, Bruce... I, I think that's wrong, mm. you know. Right. After after uh, his huge success, you know, selling yeah. what forty four or forty seven million or something, right? You can't top that. Right. If you sell ten million, it will be a flop. Yeah. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. You can't do that. Why? If I were Quincy, I would now come out uh, having Michael do a record with a piano trio singing. Mm. Brecht Weil songs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where you know uh, it's so left field yeah. that the whole industry will go, wow, now that's balls. He's that a real artist. Fascinating. You know? Yes. Wow. And it it you know, and and then it what what happened was he sold four million records mm-hmm. and uh, everybody thought, Yeah, it's good. But you know, it was such a disappointment mm-hmm. yeah. after the other. Yeah. Which is like, it's not, it's not right to do that. But it's in a way, it's how truth. it goes. Yeah, that's yeah. how it goes. Um, it's okay. Over overexposure is always killing. Oh, true. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. I've you've told millions of fantastic stories here, and I sparked them by my questions. But I'm wondering if you have a favorite story. That ties back to whatever any you know whatever moment that is meaningful to you that I didn't ask a question that sparked it. It could be a some other artist that we know them, we don't know them, whatever it is. What's your favorite story when you look back over your career? My manager Michael Lipman. Mm. He he basically he he made David Bowie here in America. Mm. Uh, he made uh, George Michael. Mm. He he made Matchbox Twenty. Mm. Rob Thomas. Uh, great guy, wonderful human being, great manager. Mm-hmm. Well, he was he was man he was working with David Bowie at the time, right when I when I got with him. An old friend of his, who also became one of my good old friends, uh, was a, a Chicago guy who knew Michael from way back, and he was married to Minnie Ripperton. Mm, right. You remember Mary? Uh, yeah, Mary of course. Uh-huh. Great, great singer, great. Guy. Yeah. So uh, he lived in Beverly Hills. Michael lived in Beverly Hills. Uh, he calls over Michael and he goes, Michael, you have to help me out on this. Uh, Minnie and me, we had a terrible fallout. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think it's better if I move out of the house for a few days. You know, mm-hmm. because then, then after a few days we'll get back together, and everything will be honky dory. You mm-hmm. know, I just mm-hmm. don't want to stress this relationship, and we are fighting like cats and dogs. Yeah, is it okay? Can can I stay at your house for a few days, Michael? Sure, absolutely, no problem. But you have to sleep down in the den, right? Because mm-hmm. all my bedrooms, you know, he has two two sons, and it's all taken. He goes, yeah, no problem. So the den was where. Michael would also take meetings at his house, mm. right? There was a large den downstairs, away from sort of from the house. Uh, very nice. 
And this this gentleman, uh, Nick, he was uh, an an ex NFL player. Oh wow! He was huge, right? Huh. Huge and and a linebacker. So it was you know he literally was two hundred sixty, two hundred eighty pound pure muscle, mm-hmm. huge, right? Wow. Six foot to four or something. So he sleeps on the couch. Well, uh, <laughs> Michael had scheduled a meeting in the morning at 10 o'clock with David Bowie, right? Mm-hmm. And, and David told me the story when I was with Zappa in, in Berlin and we were hanging out. Wow. <laughs> and oh David says those were the days where he would come in, uh, you know, and he, he was in, in the Siggy Stardust outfit, right? Mm-hmm. With uh, sort of his hair sticking out, right. and he had color in his hair. He had <clears throat> painted fingernails and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And he was this sort of thin, uh, sort of young character, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, looked looked sort of looked very gay mm-hmm. in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he wasn't. Right? Mm-hmm. And he has this ten o'clock meeting, and he comes down, uh, and and uh, Michael's secretary says, "Well." Uh, David, don't worry. Uh, please go down to the den and sit down. And, you know, uh, Michael will be right down. So he goes down to the den. He comes down and he sees this guy sleeping mm-hmm. on the couch, mm-hmm. right? And he, he says, the guy is huge, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's asleep, right? Uh-huh. So I sit down in this chair, right? And and I didn't want to wake him up, and I, I I'm waiting for Michael. <laughs> All of a sudden, right? Uh-huh. Nick wakes up, right? <laughs> he wakes up. He looks up. <clears throat> he sits down on the couch, right? This this massive guy. Uh-huh. He looks over. He sees David in full regalia, oh sitting gosh. in his chair, right? <laughs> and on the floor. There was a part of it where where the sofa was 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 carpet, uh-huh. and part of it was the seating arrangement was was uh, hardwood, uh-huh. and there was a line on the floor right <laughs> where, where the hardwood and the, and the carpet would meet, right? Uh-huh. And Nick looks at David. <laughs> he doesn't say good morning, who are you, or anything. He says, you "See this line." <laughs> David, David goes, yeah. He goes, you cross that line. I kick your ass. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> so, so that's my, my. I love it, David. I love it. Thank you. Oh, David Bowie is my favorite. So thank you. That was the perfect story. I love it. I love okay. it. Well, hey, Peter, thank you so much. This was an honor. I have been wanting to talk to you for years, and I'm so glad we did it. You've done so much stuff that means a lot to people. I'm so grateful. Thank Thank you. you. There you have it, Peter Wolf. I am so grateful that we got a chance to tell the Peter Wolf story. That guy has worked on so many things that are part of the fabric of your life. Think about it. All these songs that we've been playing in here, they weren't just hits. They weren't just popular at one time. We still hear them and know them like we know the back of our hand. It's incredible. And he was savvy enough to make that happen. I am so grateful that he talked to us. 
I want to close it out with the title track from that Chicago album, Stone of Sisyphus. This album is killer, and it's not like any other Chicago album you've ever heard. I promise. But it rocks, and I love it. So thanks again, Peter, for talking with me. Next week, we are talking, we're going to, we're focusing on some R&B. And in fact, it's British R&B from the 80s. So that's what we're going to get into next week. I hope you guys will come back and listen and enjoy it. You might learn some things or you may already know and love this band. We'll see. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. Um, you can find us on Facebook and you can like our page and you can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. We put out new episodes every Tuesday. If you're new to the show, go back into the archives, see if there's something else in there that you'll like. We have been on a roll so far this year. Everything that's come out has been really good. I got to give it up to us. I think you'll agree. Anyway, we love you guys. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>